History happened everywhere. A random place, a random time, and a topic pulled from the hat. The challenge? Find the fascinating, uncover the unexpected, and share the stories. You're listening to... History happened everywhere. Hello, my name is Ryan Weir. I am here in the HHE studio with the very delicious, the gorgeous looking, it's Mr. Peter Goddard. Is there another Peter Goddard in the room? Because I do not recognise that <laughs> description one iota. <laughs> How you doing, man? You okay? Uh, not too bad, not too bad. We're just back from our out of office episode. Yes, the holiday was tremendous, I'm sure all our viewers are wondering. So, Pete, I was wondering, if something was to happen and there were no podcast anymore, like, what would be your thing? Instead of podcasting? Yeah, like, what, like if you could do another creative venture, what would it be? Well, I think the first option would be I would be one of those people walking down the street shouting at strangers because that's the equivalent of what uh, the podcast does for, for me. For it charity money? money? No, just a, like a lunatic on the bus <laughs> going, Did you know Grenada's a tiny island in the Caribbean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just so you'd continue the fact. Yes. Just I just through a megaphone yeah, and I'd, through the I'd, internet exactly I'd be one of those wild haired people on the streets <laughs> that people avoided I mean that's not what I want I just think that's what was going to happen <laughs> yeah there's no way to unsubscribe from that no no there really isn't I quite like that. Just some guy following me around, just telling me facts every now no and then. It's a bit like my my loss of Facebook. I'll be running up to people, showing them pictures of my family, going, "Do you like it? Do you?" <laughs> so, what would you do then? Your uh, in your alternative life? Okay, no podcast. No podcast. I just do something creative. Um, I think I would be that guy that sits out in like public spaces and draws caricatures of people. Oh, the caricature guy. I'd, be, I'd have a little easel and a little bench thing and maybe some sandwiches. And I would sit there and draw the bigger nose on someone and big wide eyes. And Can you caricature this minor matter of talent? What's your drawing skills like? My drawing skills, you know, circles. Yes. I can draw that. That's like a face. Strong start. Do you think anyone's ever like got annoyed enough to actually have a fight with somebody a because of the awful nature of the caricature? Well, they've picked up on something that they hadn't perhaps noticed—a yeah, lazy think... eye or a wonky tooth or something. I think you have to go into a caricaturist experience knowing it's going to be unpleasant. So I would imagine most people know what they're going to get. Like it's very personal at that point. You're very close to that person for a long period of time, and they're analysing you. It's kind looking of, for flaws. It's kind of worth doing actually, just to help you understand how the world perceives you. Right? For you, I would draw you just do a big round head and round eyes we know <laughs> <Yeah>. that <laughs> yeah that's exactly what I'd do <laughs> okay enough of all this it's time Peter for you to take pole position to stand on the soapbox of victory and declare the results of your research I'm absolutely ready to do that I would more characterise it as I'm now sitting on the bus right. and you're about to get me rambling into your ear which is a worry because I'm getting off next oh no you're not so you're, gonna... <laughs> <laughs> you're sticking with me sunshine okay well look we need to remind ourselves of what it is that you're going to be talking to us about today here we do so why don't we play back the does later and see what fate has come Cast upon you. Okay, here it is. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, the desolator is desolating. And your country is...
Cyprus. Cyprus. Ooh, Cyprus. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. You okay with that? Uncomfortable. Yeah. So far. Here we go. And your time is. Okay. It's the Hundred Years' War between 1337 and 1453. Oh, I genuinely don't know how to feel about that. I was hoping for something in the late 70s, but uh, it's not prehistoric. It's not 500 CE in Mauritania either. Hopefully there's something to be had there. You'll be fine. And the topic is... Oh, this is lovely. It's beauty. Oh, nice. Right. How about that? Beauty in Cyprus during the Hundred Years' War of 1337 to 1453. Was it a beautiful experience, Peter? I thought this was going to be a great deal easier than it actually turned out to be. But I have found some things and hopefully you'll be entertained by those things. (laughs) But here we go. Let's go to the Mediterranean. (gasps) The sun-dappled sea. We've just come back from holiday. It feels like I'm going back. The sky. All right, we're going to the Republic of Cyprus. This is an island nation in the Mediterranean Sea. For those who aren't sure about the Mediterranean Sea, it's the big sea that separates Europe and Africa. Uh, The island of Cyprus is quite far to the right-hand side of that sea. Okay. It's basically just underneath Turkey, just to the left of Syria and Lebanon. So kind of you're really nudging into Middle Eastern territory. And also Israel as well is fairly nearby. So I know you do enjoy to know how big things are. This is an island of 9,251 square kilometres. Whenever we do these, they're really down to the single kilometre. I wonder how accurate can you get with this stuff? I wonder if it includes beaches. Wait till the tide's out. You could probably nudge a a couple of kilometres on, (laughs) couldn't you? (laughs) Yeah. It's uh, 1.7% the size of France. So rounding up to two, you get about 50 Cypresses to uh, France. That's kind of teeny. It is teeny. It's a little, little place. Got about mm, slightly fewer than 900,000 people. Wow. Okay. Uh, Is that because the rest of it is made up by tourists? Yes, it's absolutely rounded with tourists. That's That's, that's my experience of cyprus <laughs> yes as it's many many tourist destination right? yes it really is yeah it's got a lot of lovely beaches it's got a mountain in the middle but lots of lovely beaches and the sun-dappled mediterranean who wouldn't want a bit of that i think also you're a big fan of the music of cyprus or specifically the national anthem of cyprus so shall we have a little listen okay you say that like i've heard it before uh no they just all sound the same don't they oh right <laughs> <laughs> Clue, it's not going to be a harmonica solo. Okay. <laughs> All right, here we go. I'll, 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 I'll cue it up. All right. It's quite cheery, isn't it? Yeah, it feels Bavarian. <laughs> I imagine <laughs> men in lederhosen slapping each other's thighs. That probably says more about you than the anthem, but absolutely fine with that, Ryan. We all have our quirks. lazy feel to it it's a nice lazy day summer's day this is one of the few that i would pop on in the background whilst doing a little house cleaning this is olden days taking your lady for a walk around the park and there's a bandstand and there's a band in the bandstand absolutely bandstand you stand there you applaud at the end so now that was quite short Okay. Which is surprising because, uh, in actual fact, this is known as the Hymn to Liberty. Right. It was originally a poem written by Dionysus Solomos in 1823. Great name. Uh, about a year later, it was set to music by Nikolaus Manzaros. Less great name. And the other interesting fact about this national anthem is it is also the Greek national anthem. Okay. Do the Greeks know? The Greeks know. 
So there is a very Greek population in Cyprus. There is also a Turkish population in Cyprus, which causes its problems, which we will talk about briefly in a minute. But there is also a perception of themselves as Greek. So sharing the same national anthem is, I guess, part of that. They are their own country, right? They're not... They are a country. They're a country of their own. Independent country, the Republic Uh, of... Yes, it's absolutely. It's an independent country. But Cyprus is literally physically divided now into a Greek south and a Turkish-occupied north. Okay. So historically, there were Greek and Turkish communities on the island of Cyprus and they got on variously well and not well at various times. But in 1974, a coup d'etat was staged by Greek Cypriot nationalists, Cypriots who identified as Greek. And this is aimed at, and here's a word I did not know, enosis. 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 Uh, Enosis is a word that means joining your country to become part of Greece. Oh, that's an actual word for that. Specifically Greece. Does that happen often (laughs) enough? Well, I guess there's a a community of Greeks around the world who are (laughs) trying to just make everything Greece. Okay. But anyway, there was a coup d'etat by these Greek Cypriot nationalists. Then in response, Turkey sent an invasion force on the 20th of July. And that led to the capture of a bunch of northern Cyprus. Displaced, obviously, the Greek Cypriots. There's 150,000 Greek Cypriots moved south and 50,000 Turkish Cypriots moved north. So they basically separated by ethnic division. There was a Turkish Cypriot state in the north established unilaterally by Turkey and the Turkish Cypriots. So Turkey recognises it as a country. Nobody else does. Wow, okay. And that division is actually, there's a buffer zone, so there's fences and no and patrols, and there are United Nations soldiers patrolling wow. in the buffer zone between the two parts of Cyprus. So am I walking from Greek territory to Turkish territory, if I cross that border? Well, or, you're moving from Greek territory, which is recognised by all the other countries of the world and the United Nations, into an area that is occupied by Turkey that is not recognised as Turkish by anyone other than Turkey. Right, okay. I'm sure that goes down well. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a tense situation, I believe. But it does have an interesting side effect. So since Cyprus joined the EU in 2004, that means technically Turkey has kind of invaded the EU as an illegal occupation on EU territory. It's complicated, isn't it? But it's weirdly stable. So it's a problem that's been trying to be solved for a long time. They had a referendum a while back to say, should we get together? The Turks actually voted for it. It was the Greeks who voted against it, much to the annoyance of the United Nations at the time, I believe. I think it's it was related to who would have more power than suddenly there's a load of Turks in your country, I guess, that suddenly have some influence. Okay. Whereas at the moment, they're kind of kept to the north and they have all the benefits of the south. I don't really know. I'm sure there'll be some somebody shouting at the radio as we speak. Yeah. <laughs> I no, make sure. these uh, uh, assumptions, but it's, it's... It sounds like a complicated but not terribly dangerous situation. That's what what I get. It's not like some people are being killed and there's bombs and it's sort of stable, but right. unsatisfactory is what I'm getting. Okay. And I think it's quite difficult for the Turkish occupied north to develop economically when nobody recognises it. You can't get a direct flight there. Most of the tourists are in the Greek south. So all in all, I think ultimately it's in everyone's best interest to get along, right? <laughs> is it even split? Is it 50-50? No, it's. I think it's about two thirds, third. I would say, okay, possibly even less than that. But that's yeah. So that's the situation that kind of is divided poor old Cyprus, which is it's a shame because it's a beautiful, as we've discussed, country with a great deal to offer. It's just a little bit of a shame that it's like that. But this wasn't the case in 1337, I'm guessing. No, it was very much a whole place. Mm. Uh, but there was still plenty of bickering to be discovered. Um, and I'm just going to leave with one famous Cypriot, the goddess Aphrodite. The actual goddess Aphrodite, who's goddess of love and beauty, emerged naked from the waters around Cyprus, a place called Aphrodite's Rock, which you can visit. And they say if you swim three times around the rock, you will get eternal beauty or eternal love. Or attacked by a shark. <laughs>
Potentially, yeah. yeah. Well, you could drown. <laughs> it's a risk. <laughs> it's 50-50. It's, you know, it's how, how lonely are you? That's yeah. the question. <laughs> is Aphrodite like a wet woman? <laughs> was she, <laughs> was she <laughs> a merwoman? At first, yes. She, uh, she was born from the sea, but she wasn't of the sea, I guess. She was born from foam, actually, rather than the sea, I think. Okay, because really. I've seen her in the shell. She's, like, seen in a scallop. Yeah, there's a couple of versions of, of how she came to be there in the first place. One involves the cutting off of her father's genitals and chucking them in the sea oh uh, which is nice and the <laughs> other is that she just sort of popped up <laughs> <laughs> okay that's the family friendly disney version yeah exactly okay. in a nice shell also in that little area there's these bushes and people tie ribbons to the with their names on to bushes to oh. to i guess invoke the love of aphrodite there's a big cult of aphrodite in paphos on cyprus aphrodite was here that makes a lot of sense for an episode about beauty yeah it was handy wasn't it yeah So let's go right back to the beginning. You're never going to guess who was there first. Portuguese. No, early man, my friend. Early man. (laughs) I got too soon. (laughs) You did. I understand your excitement. It's one of the two. I I picked the wrong one. (laughs) So early man checks in about 10,000 BCE. Wow. And you can find some of the oldest wells in the world. So then it became settled by Mycenaean Greeks in two waves in about 2000 BCE. Right. So the Greek connection goes way back in. So those guys rocked up in their boats and was like, oh, this is a cool island. We're going to live here. Yeah. All right. So I don't know what happened to early man. Went and hid, presumably. That tends to be what happens with these guys. Yeah, fell down the well. Maybe, yeah, they're down the well. Could still be there. Now, because of the location of this, remember I said it's just under Turkey, just to the left or to westward of Syria, Lebanon, Israel. I remember. It's a it's a real jumping off point between Europe and the Middle East, mm. which makes it pretty tasty for empire building nations. For what purpose? Well, you know, it's a stopping off point. If you can own this, it means you can gather and regroup before you head off to attack Lebanon. You can attack Turkey. You could come from that way and come back and attack Greece and Europe. Cool. So it's, it's, a, it's a nice little uh, base, really. And as we know, we discussed it's quite small, so it's not a, a gigantic part of your empire, but it's a really handy place to be in terms of reaching other areas. Yeah, I suppose so. It's like if we were going to go to Mars, we would make a base on Pop moon, moon base on, yeah. Create your fuel, get some food before you take that long trip after Mars. Exactly. I wonder if anyone's ever made that connection between Cyprus and a moon base, or if I'm the first person that's ever thought that. <laughs> so the Assyrians came along. Who are they? An ancient empire from, I think... Syria? Assyria. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Then the Egyptians arrive. Then the Persians come along. Right. 333 BC, Alexander the Great. He comes along, does it for Macedonia. Then the Ptolemies of Egypt, you may have heard of. They come along. They have a turn in charge. The Romans come in first the classical Rome, and then they become part of the Eastern Roman Empire. Yeah, I guess because it's closer to the to Constantinople than it is to Rome, right? Absolutely, yeah. Although it's not far from Rome either, because that's just down the Med. Strategically located, isn't it? It's right in the middle, yeah. For all your invasion needs. That's cool. The Arab Caliphate, they come in for a bit, so the right. empires of uh, Arabia. We're heading into the Middle Ages now with the French Lusignan dynasty. This is amazing. All these people came in and just added their little influence, their it's little seasoning. It's a real crossroads of a place with all these people coming and going and coming and going. It's quite uh, fascinating. Imagine if you're an archaeologist. It'd be a brilliant place to go and look under some rocks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Lusignans were followed by the Venetians. From Venice. The, 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 the very same. So the Venetians have, that's part of their maritime emperor. Then 
the Ottomans show up, and the Ottomans they've got they've got enduring power, right? They've got solid endurance. Three centuries they managed to hang on there. Fifteen seventy one to the end of the eighteen hundreds, start of the twentieth century, which I think we discussed in uh, the episode about Bulgaria. We talked about the Ottoman Empire, so we know uh, from then that at the end of World War One there was no Ottoman Empire left, and it had all fallen apart. So then the British come along, they start having a go at running the place after the World War One. They hold on till after the Second World War, and in nineteen sixty, Cyprus becomes independent. And then 1974, it gets split again because that's the division that we just talked about with the Turkish activity. And then in 2018, I went to visit. Right, okay. That's yeah. the most recent important <laughs> historical event in the island of Cyprus. <laughs> hey, Pete. Hey, Ryan. So, a holiday in Cyprus, eh? That's exciting. Oh, it was great. I remember it well. <laughs> Good evening, everybody. <laughs> My name's Goddard, Peter Goddard, licensed to thrill. So let's get you out of those wet clothes and into a dry martini, shall we? Wow, that sounds great. Yeah, 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 it was. It, it, it definitely was. You're all right, love. Oh, my name's Goddard. Goddard, Peter Goddard. I've got a license. But uh, uh, let's get out of those clothes. Where, clothes. Where are you going? Where? Oh, come back, love. Come on. Oh, you people. So I'm going to do a very short diversion about the Hundred Years' War, which is the time period that we have, which yeah. is very accurately observed was more than 100 years long. Yeah, 1337 to 1453. If my maths is right, that's... <laughs> <laughs> that was a brave start to a yeah, sentence. it was. I, I was hoping that the number would pop into my head, like by magic or something. Now I have to actually do maths because that didn't happen. I know, and I'm not helping. So, give, no, don't help. Right. Carry the... <laughs> Just one actually got a pen and paper. I have, yeah. Right. Three. Oh, God, what's three take away seven? That's four. Does that work? Can you take away three from seven? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say you can. Okay, good luck. All right. Five take away three. Yeah. <laughs> we carried the one. It's two. When do you, where's the one from? <laughs> Just helping with math talk. <laughs> okay. Now, that's... Oh, no, that doesn't work. How are you supposed to take a big number from a small... No. How are you supposed to take a small number from a big number? I despair. <laughs> it's 116 years, Ryan. It went for 116 years. Oh. I thought it was less than that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was less than 100 years but uh, now, now you point it out yes yeah. <laughs> what was it again? Uh, what the 116 years 116 years 116 years I think I'm going to be 116 years old when I die I'll put 100 quid on it well I won't be there to pay out I don't think so <laughs> I guess I'm willing to take it it's <laughs> only upside for me yeah <laughs> Funny you should say you, you think you could last that long. There were five generations of kings fought in this war wow. from two rival dynasties. Basically, they were fighting for a throne of the largest kingdom in Western Europe. So this is the French throne. So the English royal house of Plantagenet and the French royal house of Valois warred with each other for generation after generation to see who would win. That's amazing. All on Cyprus? No, no. This is just the Hundred Years' War. Oh, okay. Nowhere near Cyprus. Cyprus wasn't involved at all. Oh, why are we talking about it then? Because it's our time period. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay. Yeah, For those okay. confused out there, we apologize. <laughs> <laughs> so the period is the Hundred Years' War, which was yeah. a long war between rival dynasties for the French throne, which was not anything to do with Cyprus at all. Okay. So we're not going to worry about that. I just wanted to set the scene and explain partly why you said, that's odd, it's not a Hundred Year period. Yeah. Who won? The French won. Uh Weirdly, it was supposedly finished after the Battle of Castillon, but they remained formally at war for another 20 years, but not fighting. I guess war by way of bureaucracy. When we talk about wars that last for 116 years, it's not like battles every day, right? There's long periods in between that where And there's truces, happens, right? and there's years of truce in this one as well. It's really yeah. a series of little wars. And even within the wars, as you say, it's not constant battle, and no one could afford that, if nothing Yeah, else. you'd run out of people. Imagine your, your armourer <laughs> would be there banging out swords going, Oh, we need more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So no, we are not going to touch this war. We're going to medieval Cyprus. Okay, what's happening in the world around that time? Do we know? Well, uh, I will tell you because this is very critical to Cyprus. And the answer oh, cool. is crusades. <gasps> right. I've heard of that. So I'm going to start in 1191 because this is a convenient time for me. King Richard the Lionheart, who mm -hmm. I'm sure you're familiar with, of England, he thought, oh, Cyprus is going to be a useful place for the Third Crusade. And so knights, the Holy Land, and yep. uh, I guess Monty Python running around. Uh, he conquered Cyprus and he married his fiancée there, actually, Berengaria of Navarre. So he married her in 12th of May 1191 in the chapel of St. George at Limassol. Oh, no way. Was she beautiful? You will meet a bunch of women later. I have no idea if they're beautiful or not. I really strove to find some beautiful women. Couldn't get it. When you say I'm going to meet some, do you mean like physically? No, there'll be no physical women, I'm afraid. No physical women for you. Fine. So anyway, Cyprus becomes basically a crusader base. So at one point, Richard sold it to the Knights Templar, which I think we all know are basically Dan Brown characters. From <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, that didn't Constantly last very long. Constantly hiding stuff behind like codes. Exactly. I, I, I can only imagine if you visit Cyprus, you're constantly being inundated with secret chalices and mystery Codexes. codes and uh, stores <laughs> going... <laughs> Oh, there's a temple, there's a thing, and somehow the fires are still going. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm certain that that's all there. But the Knights Templar did not do very well there, actually. They, they were only there for a, a couple of years. The locals started revolting because they didn't like the Templars. So they give it back, and not quite clear. Either they gave it to Richard or they sell it to a guy called Guy de Lusignan. Our phase is basically Lusignan Cyprus. Okay. So this family basically own and run Cyprus for this duration of our period. Lusignan. Lusignan. Cool. Thus begins Lusignan Cyprus. So Guy de Lusignan was the lord of Cyprus from 1192 until his death, which was a mere two years later, so he didn't get to enjoy it too much. So Henry VI, the Holy Roman Emperor, crowned Guy's older brother Amery as the first king of Cyprus. But interestingly, Amery marries Isabella in 1197, and she had the crown of Jerusalem, which means the Lusignans became kings of Cyprus and Jerusalem. And I won't go through every detail, but this kingship of Jerusalem kind of comes in and out of this Lusignan family. But broadly speaking, they are kings of both Cyprus and Jerusalem for quite a lot of the time. So yeah, so kings of Cyprus were kings of Jerusalem as well, generally. So this is a crusading vibe you've got going on. Okay. Uh, so Amory uh, dies. Uh, he has a son called Hugh, who becomes the king of Cyprus in 1205. Then after him comes Henry I of Cyprus. Uh, he lasts from 1218 to 1253, which is a really long time for a king to rule, it turns out, in this area. And how did he manage to rule so long? Well, he became king at the ripe old age of eight months old. Oh, wow. That's a little a, baby a king. A little baby king. Can you imagine? Oh, your majesty, what ails thee? Oh, do you want? You do want, don't you? I understand. Here we go. 
baby king do 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 baby king do 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 baby king do 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 baby king baby king do 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 baby king do 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 baby king do 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 baby king baby king do 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 baby king do 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 baby king do 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 baby king there there Oh, sire. Really, my liege? Must we? Again? Please, my lord, I beg thee. Very well. Baby king do 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 Baby king do 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 Baby king do 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 Baby king Baby king do 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 Baby king do 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 Baby king do 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 Uh, Hugh II became king 1253. Uh, he was king at the age of five. Okay. Veteran. That positive grey head. <laughs> yeah. uh, he yeah. was followed by Hugh III. You know how these royals love to call themselves by the children's by their same name. He was eight years old. Uh, he, uh, I don't know how old he was actually, but because okay. uh, what I particularly noticed about him was he was also one of Princes of Antioch. That's a great title, isn't right? it? Right? I'm a Prince of Antioch. That's What's Antioch? It's an area in, uh, I think it's in Anatolia, Turkey somewhere. Okay. Uh, anyway, he's succeeded by John the First. John the First was followed by Henry the uh, Second. But now we're getting into our territory, 1324. So yes. that was just to let you know that the Lusinians came in, they did their thing. That was like a little amuse-bouche of, of kings. Right, because now, rather conveniently, we get to what's known as the Golden Age of Lusinian Cyprus. I love it. Hugh the Fourth of Cyprus, 1324 to 1358. That's bang, we're into our period. He was really good for Cyprus because he wasn't actually interested in crusading. All the others are like, got a crusade, got a crusade, got a crusade. Right. Uh, in fact, his chi- his children were well into crusading. And he, at one point, he stopped them going off crusading and brought them back after they escaped to go on a sneaky crusade. Yeah, a sneaky a crusade. sneaky crusade. Imagine <laughs> that. So I think the problem for kings of Cyprus was they're such an important staging post to the Holy Land and... All the other massively bigger countries who are up for a crusade are going to want to stop by. That you kind of inevitably get drawn into international politics just yeah. because of where you are in the world. So foreign policy is just so intrinsically part of who you are. You can't just focus on your own internal... Well, I mean, I guess Hugh the Fourth managed it, so it must have been possible. But it seems that just they just love to crusade. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, And it it didn't really get better because Hugh abdicates in 1358 and his son, uh, who in, I think it was Wikipedia, was described as, quote, (laughs) crusade-minded. Okay. So he was very into knightliness, courtliness, loved a crusade, as we've discussed. He founded a chivalric order, the Order of the Sword, in 1347, which was dedicated to the recovery of Jerusalem. Right. Uh, He was quite aware that after the fall of Acre, the fall of Acre is an important battle in the Crusades. It's a town in the north of what's now Israel. It's kind of represented the the last outpost of Christianity in the Middle East. So that left really Cyprus being the, the, the easternmost point of Christianity, if you like. So he became really, he was really conscious of this, his duty as a christian in the in the east so he started to get a bit a bit, <laughs> a bit aggressive uh he starts digging into turkey starts attacking ports in turkey so they gang up and attack back <laughs> as, you, yeah. as you can imagine so 
I can't imagine he didn't foresee that happening. Well, yeah, fortunately for him, the various cities in the, on the southern coast of Turkey gang up and send a fleet to Cyprus. Peter goes to the Knights of St. John. Uh, he also had help from the Pope and from pirates. Tell me another story where someone gets help from both the Pope and the pirates. <laughs> it's a cracker, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I'm, and I'm sorry, I don't have more, more on that for you. But what? Another time, I'm afraid. But this gang of how pirates, can you, popes How and... can that not be in every story that's ever been written know, about popes and I pirates know. getting together? I'm sorry, but it's not beauty, so I had to move on. Pirates of the Mediterranean. That's the <laughs> spin-off series we should do. So the Knights, Popes and Pirates, which is... Uh, <laughs> I mean, if that's not a band, I don't know what it is. Yeah. They beat the Turks away, so hooray, they win. Did popes fight back in the day? Yeah, oh, they loved a bit of it. Did, really? Yeah. Like, you being serious? Well, not individually. You don't see them on the battlefield, but... Oh, well, uh, no, that's, that was what I was asking. You know, like, you'd see a king go out, and they'd yeah, get, oh, no, I don't get, think get, a, get amongst would do that. him. I mean, you'd get you with a crook, I suppose. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I can't imagine how terrifying it would be to have a thousand uh, men charging at you, and at their head, a verobed pope with, yeah. a, with a big hat, and his crook coming at him, ah! yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously, he's wearing white all the time. It's going to be a nightmare to get all the mud and the blood off, well, off your gear. That's that's part of the threat, isn't it? It's like, I'm so confident. I'm even wearing white and you're not going to get close to me, mate. I'll just, feel- just crook you from a distance. <laughs> 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 so he's succeeded by Peter II. He's also known as Peter the Fat. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, Did he interest- call himself Peter the Fat? Uh, I don't think so. He probably called himself Peter the Magnificent or something. That's right. what I'd do. Is this another thing that once he's dead, everyone's like, like which oh, Peter? Did you, the, 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 the fat the one. one. <laughs> uh, the interesting fact I brought about him, he's 1369 to 1382. He was married by proxy in Milan on the 2nd of April, 1376, and then in person at Santa Sofia, Nicosia. So, but yeah, I thought that was an interesting concept. He was married twice, once by proxy, he wasn't even there. Imagine not attending your own wedding. But how does it work? Like, are you then married to that person? So yeah, I guess I... I, I does mean, it why get would null you void for you? A, no, I think that you, you are the personification, you're the avatar of the other guy. So he's getting married, so he's getting not married. You. You're just there So I can say, go and get married yeah, again. Yeah, yeah, he does, don't worry, it'll be fine. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you? Yeah, 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 it'll be fine. <laughs> I can see why you'd want to follow up marriage in person, though. <laughs> Just someone getting married saying, yeah, 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 yeah. Come on, come, come on, on, let's go on. <laughs> I've got I'm on the clock here. <laughs> I'm on a day rate. <laughs> so we're going to move on to James I of Cyprus. It's 1382 to 1396. This is weird because after Peter's death, he died, he didn't have an heir. So the Parliament of Cyprus decided James would be the king. They just decided, but that's not the weird bit. When they decided he would be the king, he was still a captive in Genoa. (laughs) So he's sitting in a Genoese prison and they're like, oh, you're king now, mate. (laughs) Imagine that. Now, Did they bring me, the proxy out again and be like, right, you've got to be king now? Yeah, on just go, get on that throne. We're going to pop this <laughs> crown on. But the, what I couldn't understand was why on earth would you have a king who is immediately in a foreign prison? <laughs> that just seems mad to me. And did he get out of prison? In medieval times, you would capture a noble and basically you generally wouldn't want to kill him because you would ransom them back home and make a tidy yeah. profit. Uh, and the Genoese knew how to make a profit and they did it by selling this guy back to Cyprus. So that just says to me that the, the government knew that they were going to get him back at some point so probably yeah, get on his still, good side when he does come back yeah I'd still be inclined to pick someone who wasn't rotting in a foreign jail <laughs> to be my king but there you yeah. go <laughs> 
Uh, Janus of Cyprus comes next. He was born in Genoa <laughs> because his father was a captive there. <laughs> he tries to take Famagusta back. He fails. Then the Mamelukes, which are these Egyptian Muslims, they're I think they're um, they're ex-slaves or something, but basically Egyptian warriors. The Mamelukes. 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 So some, uh, sometimes it's Mameluk, sometimes it's spelled Mamluk. Oh, right, so yeah. I'm not sure exactly how. That's why I didn't recognise it when you said yeah, it. it. was the lack of the E, wasn't it? Sorry. Yeah. So they attack Cyprus as well. They occupy Limassol now, so they're getting nibbled by other people from all around. Right. Uh, Janus musters an army. He goes around Europe saying, uh, can I have some help, please? Because I've got uh, Egyptians on my territory. And Genoese obviously didn't help because they're sitting there going, well, we don't like you. The Venetians <laughs> would uh, have good trade with the Egyptians. So they're like, mm, no. So they're just, he just couldn't get any help to help kick the Mamluks out of his country. Meanwhile, they have plagues in the island, locusts, plagues of locusts as well, plagues of plague and plagues of locusts. Right. Cypriot serfs start to revolt as well because life is getting horribler and horribler. That rebellion gets quite a long way but is eventually repressed. Basically, everything's going wrong. Right. And this is really representing that this is really the end game for the Lucinian Cyprus. We get John II and I can give you his entire Wikipedia story. Uh, he was born and then he died. <laughs> <laughs> It's a life well lived. <laughs> it was honestly, I'm like, that's, that was it, huh? Well, and my eulogy, if I could have something slightly better than that, that would be great. We get a queen of Cyprus next. Cyprus next. First queen? First queen, yeah. That's cool. James II pops in for 10 years. James III comes in, dies in infancy. Uh, and then his mum, the last monarch of the kingdom of cyprus takes over she's the mother of james the third who uh was king briefly for one year then catherine canaro was the last monarch of the kingdom of cyprus and then the venetians basically say we're going to move in cyprus becomes a colony of venice after that so there's no invasion there's no battle they just they just turn around they're like right <laughs> okay but none of that was about beauty was it N- not really no no so let's talk beauty in medieval cyprus <laughs> yeah please what did you to understand lucinian cyprus to get the context the flavor the crusades I, I i i get it there were a lot of kings and queens who did who very little <laughs> did a lot of crusading <laughs> All right, tell me about some beautiful things. Right, so let's discuss what is beauty to a medieval woman. Ah, it's all relative, isn't it? (laughs) Now, I can't be super specific to Cyprus, but as we've seen, upper-class Cyprus, at least, is pretty much a pan-European place. These are noble families that the Lucinians originated in France. They were dealing with the Genoese, the Venetians around... This is sort of, I'd say, to pan-European aristocracy. Mm. So to me, I think probably general medieval beauty would be applied to all of these people. So what looks good to medieval? You've got to have pale white skin. And this is talking women, by the way. Right. You're going to need small upright breasts. Apple-like is a commonly used expression. Apple-like breasts. Blonde hair. Blonde hair was very popular. Flaxen, ideally. And a high forehead. (laughs) Right. What what could be sexier than a high forehead, I ask you? (laughs) Uh, so Gabriel Hernandez, who wrote a book called Classic Beauty, The History of Makeup, said women in the 1400s wanted to have high foreheads and an egg-shaped face with a small nose and lips. They saw this as resembling a child, innocent and pure. It was truly a blank face without <laughs> much expression. I was going to say, it sounds an awful lot like my caricature pictures. Well, yeah. <laughs> it kind of does, <laughs> yeah. actually, doesn't it? Yeah. So Victoria Shero wrote a book called For Appearances Sake, The Historical Encyclopedia of Good Looks, and she in, uh, echoes that. Plain, empty appearances were desirable. But she actually thought that you were supposed to have a plain face so that you wouldn't distract attention from the cleavage area from your apples from your basket of apples <laughs> from your pink ladies one thing everyone was on the lookout for was lovely clear skin now that's 
important because smallpox epidemics were really common. Yeah, that's less sexy, isn't it? Yeah, smallpox has never been high on the <laughs> sex appeal list. In fact, I've cover seen, of Vogue, yeah, someone with TB. Skirts go up and down, but <laughs> smallpox stays out forever. <laughs> but there's a bit of a dichotomy at the time regarding beauty, right? Everyone wants to be beautiful. Beauty is hailed as something to be desired. Even people who work in fields and look after sheep and stuff, they want to be beautiful, don't no, they? No, I'm talking culturally. So, okay. but, but yes, I think probably they do, but they don't write it did? down so Back frequently. in the day, do you think yeah, they used absolutely. to look in puddles, because I'm guessing they didn't have mirrors then. They'd look in a puddle and be like forsooth look at thine wretch before me what foul <laughs> creature <laughs> stareth back from this murky gloop <laughs> they're very I critical i was themselves. i was thinking more of like oh my legs are that was a long day picking flax <laughs> yeah <laughs> who's that minger in the puddle to translate your prose so anyway, the dichotomy is beauty is good and everyone likes, yay, beauty. But if you're too attractive or attractive in the wrong way, you can be accused of being kind of a Jezebel. Oh. Don't want to be seeking attention. So in a book called The Confessional, there was a guidance to priests to ask if she has plucked hair from her neck or brows or beard for lasciviousness or to please men. This is a mortal sin unless she does so to remedy severe disfigurement or so as not to be looked down on by her husband. Right. So if he says, love, can you just pluck those hairs from your You're neck? You're looking a bit... <laughs> well, I mean, that, yeah, this is the dichotomy writ large, which is you should look good for your husband, but don't look good for anyone else. So how do you balance that? And the other problem, as far as the clergy was concerned, with not being beautiful, but trying to make yourself beautiful, is using things like makeup is also a form of, A, deception... This isn't what I look like. I don't naturally have a very high forehead, as sexy (laughs) as that is. And the second part of that is it kind of implies that you are improving on God's work. Right, okay. So the clergy doesn't love it. (laughs) I wonder if makeup then was subtle or whether they, you know, the materials they had for the makeup were thick and gloopy and... Let's find out. So the clergy is disagreeing with it, but as ever, everyone wants to be beautiful. There is a 13th century French song that refers to a peddler who carries for sale razors, tweezers, looking glasses, toothbrushes, toothpicks, bandows and curling irons, ribbons, combs, mirrors, rose water, cotton with which they rouge themselves and white with which they whiten themselves okay so there is clearly no shortage of makeup in this time whatever the priests might have to say about it hello i've got razors and tweezers a looking glass too toothbrushes toothpicks and mirrors for you irons for curling and ribbons for twirling and rosewater rouges and whitening too oh are you a peddler doing a bit of peddling oh good for you love uh, you got any lipstick I've got razors and tweezers, a looking glass too, toothbrushes, toothpicks and mirrors for you, irons for curling and ribbons for twirling and rosewater rouges and whitening too. So no lipstick. Okay, well, I, I do need some eyeliner. I've got razors and tweezers, a looking glass too, toothbrushes, toothpicks and mirrors for you, irons for curling and ribbons for twirling and rosewater rouges and whitening too. Deodorant? I've got razors and tweezers, a looking glass too, toothbrushes, toothpicks and mirrors for you, irons for curling and ribbons for twirling and rosewater rouges and whitening too. Fine. Um, I'll just take one of your tweezers then. We're out of stock. (laughs) 
So I've got a picture of a classic medieval beauty for you here. Okay. I realise that this is an audio experience, but I just wanted you to drink in the glory, particularly... When you say a picture, that. do you mean like a drawn picture or a photo? It's a painting. Uh, there are a few, few photos survived from the time, <laughs> I'm afraid. Now, I was wondering if like they'd got a model and then recreated it. No, no, this is a painting of the time. Are you ready for this stunner? Well, I'm going to close my eyes and then I'm going to open my eyes. I'm going to pretend that this person's in the room. Okay. Got my eyes closed. Oh, uh, oh introduce, introduce, yeah. yeah. What do you mean? Just come in. Oh. <laughs> wow. I mean, whoa, look at the forehead on that is all I've got to say. Yeah, it, it reminds me a lot of the Queen of Hearts from Tim Burton's oh, it kind of does. film Alice in Wonderland. Got the wimple holding back the hair. You can't see any hair at all, in fact. Thin, thin little eyebrows. Yeah. Sexy. Little red lips, though. Little red in the lips. So something's going on there. No, it's beautiful. Yeah, so that's uh, Isabella of Portugal. Okay. So, right, let's talk forehead first. So, st- <laughs> not something that I hear often. Step one, obviously, you want to be a medieval beauty. You work that forehead, girl. Uh, so, <laughs> so um, some say that actually this is the origin of the word highbrow. Oh, no way. Posh people would tweeze and pluck the hair on their top of their head to make their forehead bigger. Right. And that was a sign of being posh, and that's a highbrow. A highbrow. So you find tweezers a lot in medieval beauty kits. There's a little picture here that I'm going to show you. I find that fascinating. Those tweezers were made by someone, bought by someone, used by someone for years, handed down maybe. And and with those tweezers, they'd be plucking out those hairs. But it's amazing because it really hurts when you're plucking out hairs. So imagining all those people... Those years ago, sitting there going, ow, ding, ow, ow, ding. ow. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. It really brings it to life. And it's also amazing how how, yeah. how little tweezers have changed over there. You look at them and you go, oh, that's a pair of tweezers straight away. And they yeah, look, look like this pair of tweezers here. Yeah, they do. Because it's time, Ryan, for your medieval makeover. And I think we should just, we just want to get a little bit of a higher forehead there. So, uh, oh, wait. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come over there and uh, just help you out with well, your wait, beauty well, needs. Wait, no, but before you come over, what are you going to do? I'm just going to, just a little light tweezing, just give you a bit of a higher forehead. Well, uh, no, what does that mean? You're going to pluck my hairs out? Yeah. Or my eyebrows? Your hairs. My hair? Your hairs. I'm making you a, t- I'm making I you a medieval beauty. very few hairs I'll take on one. my head. I'll take one. <laughs> I just want you to know what these women were going through. Uh, let's do it. Okay, we're doing it. Okay, so right. He's, he's, he's leaning towards me. me. Oh, that's... Oh, yeah, there are some stray stragglers. Can you just get a straggler? Okay, I'll get that one. That one. Oh, my God. Here we go. All right. I can feel it. Got it. Oh! It's oh! Me- <laughs> How's that? Do you, want to, do you want to do another one? No, I definitely don't want you to do another one. <laughs> Am I highbrow now? You look, you look posher already. <laughs> am I ready? Am I fit to be king? Well, that's the start of your makeover, yes. How beautiful. Oh, that really hurt. Yeah, and that was one hair. Now you're trying to make your whole forehead look higher. Why didn't they just shave it? Uh, well, they, were, they also did do other mechanisms for depilation. But depilation pl- being what? Being the removal of hair. Sorry. Okay. So plucking's pretty easy, but we discussed earlier that white skin was really attractive as well, and redder cheeks and lips with a bit of colour. Given a, a year and a half of lockdown, I am incredibly pale and therefore <laughs> exceptionally beautiful. <laughs> Uh, So there was one medieval manuscript that was really influential all across the courts of Europe. Okay. And I think given that Cyprus was fairly cosmopolitan, they would have awareness of this book. And it's called The Trotula. Right. The Trotula. It's actually a compilation of three books. And that's Conditions of Women, which was a women's health section. Yeah. Treatments for Women, which is similar, things to, to treat various women's problems. And Women's Cosmetics. Okay. So this covered topics from childbirth to blusher, I guess. 
it wasn't just one book. It was had multiple authors, we think. Mm-hmm. It was kind of aggregated over time as okay. various people's practices were recorded. And originally, the, the conditions of women and women's cosmetics, they were circulated anonymously by people. But eventually, they got combined into just one book sometime in the late 12th century. That's a little bit before our time, but actually, it was a really enduring book. It ran to at least eight different translations. It was in Latin, but also in a range of vernacular languages. It was right. in English and French and German. It was composed in the 12th century in Italy, in the port town of Salerno and I said it was called the Trotula that name derives from an actual historic female figure called Trotta of Salerno she was a physician and a medical writer but she actually only wrote one of the three texts but the Trotula became the name of the book as a whole and then over time everyone got confused basically and this concept of a person called Trotula kind of formed that was perceived as the author of this book which actually had multiple authors. That's very cool I mean when you think it would evolve over time just as fashions do. Yeah and I think a lot of it was as behaviours and and methods and mechanic mechanisms for making yourself more beautiful are discovered as people travel. Yeah. You're in your port town of Salerno and a sailor comes to and say did you know in Antioch they've been rubbing sheep's blood on their nostrils to make themselves look thinner or something and they go oh pop that in the book i find it interesting that people would be writing this down it was actually the 14th century when it was at its most popular so this is a book that's at the top of the charts for 200 years basically and you know cyprus is a crossroads is a trading post so that also means a lot of the ingredients for a lot of the treatments in the book are quite exotic spices it's not just get some mud and a and a bit of flour it's 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 nutmeg it's cloves it's cinnamon these are not Mm. things that are readily available in in a lot of places but cyprus as this trading post near the middle east near europe seems likely they'd be able to make use of more of these um so there's actually more than 130 copies of the latin versions that still exist over 60 copies of the various vernacular translations so this is your book you're going to find all over the place i wonder how much of it is relevant today there's got to be at least a thing in there that is still done today well uh i was originally planning ryan to recreate some of the recipes from the trotula which i did read yeah uh and i ran into some problems okay uh the problems start with things like this so this is a body hair treatment. So if you don't want to pluck everything, there's other yep. ways to get rid of your hair. Great. The women's cosmetic section of the trotula says, Unguentum pro nobilis quod pilus remuet cutem subilitat immaculus alfet. That trans- I'll translate that for the audience because I know... Were you, you just uh, casting a spell, by the way? <laughs> uh, no, this was a, a Latin version that I read. Uh, I read the English translation, though, before anyone gets excited about my okay. Latin skills. <laughs> so look, it says... In order that a woman might become very soft and smooth and without hairs from her head down, first of all, let her go to the baths. Take burning hot tiles and stones, and with these placed in the steam bath, let the woman sit upon it well covered with cloths so that she sweats. And when she is well sweated, let her exit from the bath and wipe herself off well with a linen cloth. Yeah, that all sounds fairly so familiar. Far, so good. Yeah, steam rooms and all that. So I'm thinking, I'll oh, get Ryan, we'll have a steam. Ryan will, be, Ryan will love it. I, I would I'll, love that. Then I'll get to the main event, which is where we must anoint you all over yeah. with this depilatory, this hair removal. Okay. Uh, this is made from well-sifted quicklime. Now, this is where the problem Doesn't comes. Doesn't dissolve bodies? Well, yes. Calcium oxide is quicklime. It's used in cement and steel making. Right. <laughs> uh, Wikipedia says, because of vigorous reaction of quicklime with water, quicklime causes severe irritation when inhaled or placed in contact with moist skin or eyes. Wow, okay. Uh, in 80 BC, the Roman general Sertorius deployed choking clouds of caustic lime powder to defeat the Characitani of Hispania. No way, chemical warfare. Yeah, so just pop that on your body. 
<laughs> There's no wonder the hairs fall out. But I mean, they must have known what they were doing, though, right? They only probably put a small amount on, or well, in fairness, and douse you is, with a bag of <laughs> quick lime. It has an e number. It's a food additive as well. So oh. there are quick lime, but quick lime is not uh, something to be meddled with. And certainly, I wasn't going to douse you in quick lime for the purposes of the podcast. Well, I don't know, man. If you're not willing to commit to this podcast, so we're gonna we're gonna skip that one. But all is not lost. Okay. Uh, so now we we want uh, we don't want you to look like an oik working in the field. We'll get you a nice pale face. So an ointment for noble women, which removes hairs, refines the skin, and takes away blemishes. Take juice of the leaves of squirting cucumber and almond milk. With these placed in a vessel, gently mix in quicklime and orpiment. Is that quicklime again? Okay, so quicklime again plus orpiment. Arsenic sulfide. <laughs> wow. Okay. Because of its extreme toxicity, it was abandoned. <laughs> wow. So they weren't stupid in those days, right? They would have known that arsenic was a poison. Yeah, there, there's an old saying in pharmacy type worlds, which is uh, toxicity is dose. Right. Drink exactly. enough water, it will poison you. But is water poison? No. But I mean, it's a risk, isn't it? Plus, there, I think <laughs> yeah. there's uh, a lot yeah, of the is. treatments had lead in them as well. So there's lots of things. All the cups they were that, drinking from had lead in well, them. Well, yes. Yeah. And I think the the biggest risk is against those sort of slow, very slow acting build up type poisons because if you just go i put on my rouge and drop dead 24 hours later mm. people would have noticed but if over years and years of baby how do you pick it was the makeup rather than one of the other things you did for that time so anyway i don't want you to die so i'm not going to orpiment you i would look beautiful in death i think we should try and get you go some flaxen hair flaxen hair i think ryan what does flaxen hair mean flaxen is blonde golden oh so okay for colouring the hair so that it is golden, take the exterior shell of a walnut. Okay, it's easy enough. And the bark of the tree itself. Right. Cook them in water. And with this water mix, alum and oak apples. And with these mixed things, you will smear on the head, placing them on the hair leaves and tying them with string for two days. Two days? <laughs> okay. Yeah, so uh, I, I abandoned that one on the grounds of, I didn't think a 48-hour podcast was something people would tune in for. Right. Ah, now we could whiten the hair. Well, see if you can spot why we aren't doing this next recipe. Okay. For whitening the hair, catch as many bees as possible in a new pot and set it to burn, grind with oil, and then anoint the head. All right. Catch some bees. Yes. Just, just catch some bees. Catch as many bees as possible. <laughs> as many as possible. Okay. <laughs> That's a lot. That, well, I can tell you that the, as many bees as possible in my case was no bees. <laughs> I caught no bees for you, Ryan. Well, we're struggling with bees at the moment, so nobody out there be tempted to try this recipe. <laughs> Uh, so here's another one. In contrast, uh, there was a lot to remove hair, but actually there's one that says, so that hair might grow wherever you wish, mm. take barley bread with the crust, grind it with salt and bear fat. <laughs> right, okay. But first burn the barley bread with this mix mixture, anoint the place and the hair will grow. Wow, okay. Right, you can't buy bear fat, mate. That was my problem. Did you yeah. look? I, I, Not very far because I didn't really want to look like a monster who buys bear fat. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so, so this is if I'm going bald, and I, I want yeah, some yeah, luscious wanna, hair. Yeah, but not you know you don't want to not too far forward. Damage your your, forehead, your lovely forehead. We've been working. I'll put some masking tape down over my forehead yeah. so it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, just mask off a healthy area <laughs> and then just dab I'd get your some bare, cool, fat and sharp bread. lines though, wouldn't I? Oh, I mask off my head. Could get like a widow's peak. That'd be amazing. Okay, and then I get bare hair. Bare. It might be bare like hair. I don't know. How's your itch mites? Sorry. How's your itch mites? Well, I mean, if you need to sort them out, Myrtlebury. Broom, clary, cooked in vinegar, rub the ends of your hair, done. Were these all readily accessible things, do well, you think? I can't imagine they were, if I'm honest. Uh, 
I mean, in Italy, in a port town, I suppose you're more likely to see these goods being traded. But they're certainly not easy to come by. They're not all local produce, are they? Bear fat and bees and... I mean, I guess you could, you but... in most places, but I think you're going to struggle with some of the, some of the items. But uh, I just want to check out your teeth. The teeth are whitened thus. Take burnt white marble and burnt date pits and white natron, which is sodium bicarbonate, a red tile, salt and pumice... Make a powder and then rub the teeth inside and out. They're onto something with this one because it's pretty much make sort of light sandpaper and sand your teeth to whiteness, (laughs) uh, which I can imagine would work. Red tile, I'm not sure about. Yeah, that was curious addition, wasn't it? The rest of it, you sort of made a bit of sense almost. Right, so now we're going to deal with your smelly hair. We have a recipe, right? Yeah. So she combs her hair, let her have this powder. Take some dried roses, clove, nutmeg, watercress and galangal, which is kind of ginger, a relative of ginger. Right. Let all these powdered be mixed with rose water. Right. With this water, let her sprinkle her hair and comb it with a comb dipped in this same water so that her hair will smell better. And let her make furrows in her hair and sprinkle on the above mentioned powder and it will smell marvellously. <laughs> That's wonderful. Right? I think you would smell like Christmas. Well, here's a fun thing about that recipe. The ingredients are A, not going to kill you. Yeah. B, actually available reasonably easy today. Yay. Unlike bare fat. So, do you want to make a hair tonic? <laughs> yeah, obviously. All oh, right, right. I'll get my <laughs> kit. Okay. Uh, I'll play some suitably period music, shall I? <laughs> yes. Blink, blink, blink. All right. Okay, so I have the ingredients here. Okay. Here's one I prepared earlier, as they say. Oh. So let's start with this. Uh, right, what, so what is this I've got in my hand? You've got this dried roses, clove, nutmeg, watercress, and galangal. Okay, this is galangal, which uh, is a brown, very fine powder. <laughs> oh, wow, that's strong. Oh, my goodness. That smells like a medicinal hair product. Oh, really? So now, this is where we run into the problem of the trotula, which is... What I told you, that is the sum total of the recipe and the advice. It doesn't give you any amounts of any of these things. It just says, mix these things. So take some dried roses, clove, nutmeg, watercress and galangal. Let all these powdered be mixed with rose water and then we'll sprinkle it in your hair. So it's up to you to use your sniffer to decide the right balance between rose petal, clove, nutmeg, watercress, galangal and rose water. Well, I can't use all of them. I know you do use all of them. But we don't know how much of each one. So oh, I see. You have to judge. You have to balance your freedom. Well, I think it would be weird to not use. Or you've spent so much time and effort grinding these. We should just use them all. All of all of it. Well, why not? Okay. <laughs> all right. So let's do it. Okay. So we've laid out the goods, as it were. We have selected a medieval-style Pyrex mixing bowl. <laughs> yep. And I guess we just. Pour all the stuff in and start mixing. All right, let's do it. Okay, so here's the... Should we start with the water? Yeah, yep. I suppose you want to put the powder into the water, don't you? So there's the water. Right, say when. I think we need more than that, don't we? I'd go for it. I'd really go... Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's good. Yeah, the, or all of it. Yes, all of it, Ryan. Let's put all of it in. Let's do it all. Right. Okay, what's next? Okay, I think we should... It put... smells delicious. Uh, right, grab your nearest bag of powder. All right, well, let's go with the nearest one. I'm going for the ground gargamel. Okay, ground... <laughs> Ground galangal, uh, that's the gi- ginger-like substance. Right, it's all going in. You're getting the whole lot. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to hold back. Cloves, Cloves are, going are going in. in. Yep. 
No, we're going, we're going rose petals rose, this time. Okay. And I'm going very heavy on rose. Yeah, I'm going very heavy on that. They're subtle, aren't they? It's a subtle stuff. This is scientific uh, stuff. Mm. It's a beautiful colour. I love the Yeah, they're really... Pre- they're, the rose petals are my favourite part of it, albeit they were an absolute nightmare to grind. Okay, it's nutmeg, I believe, next. Okay, and then right. there's the... Nicely mixed up. Relatively inoffensive watercress remaining. Okay. Okay, that's it. That's the last half. Give it a good stir. So, uh, what am I doing with this? Dipping the comb in the water, running it through your beautiful tresses. Comb through the water, through my tresses. Okay, we have a comb, we have the bowl of what can only be described as gunk. Comb is dipping in. All right, all right, I'm going to comb this through my hair now. Okay. Okay. Oh no. Do I smell nice? I can't tell. Why is it in the back of my head? Do the front. Do the front. <laughs> There's a lot of lumps left, Ryan. I'll be honest, it does not look good. <laughs> I feel like the terrarium should have mentioned that it needs to be filtered first. I think, yeah, Chochula maybe. Well, we followed the instructions, such as they were. Oh, it smells quite nice, actually. Yeah. It smells like Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think I said right at the start is what it would smell like. Very good. Very good. If I find out this was a trick and this is going to make me bore, <laughs> my hair is going to fall. These are the perfect ingredients for nutmeg. Dash of quicklime. <laughs> okay. So, so what's the review of medieval hair pomade, Ryan? Well, I smell delicious. It smells really fresh. Honestly, if this was in a spray, I wouldn't be against it. What well, I don't <laughs> like... <laughs> And I'm just going to stress this quite strongly, <laughs> is the very many lumps that are now drying in my hair. That feels less than attractive. It did look for a moment there as if a fleet of tiny dogs had flown over your head and all relieved themselves upon you. It was pretty bad. Dogs that were perhaps unwell. Yes, very much an unwell dog yeah. of tiny proportions. Well, look, if you want to see pictures of that uh, application then do visit hhepodcast.com. Uh, we have a art gallery there where we post pictures from every episode and you'll be able to see pictures of my balding head with dog feces all over it. Well, thank you, Ryan. That was very sporting of you. I have to say you smell lovely. Now, I'm going to leave you with two tiny facts that are very specific to Cyprus because I realise that was quite broadly medieval. Yeah. Firstly, St. Birgitta of Sweden visited Cyprus in 1372 on her way to the Holy Land and she experienced a revelation where God said, this city is Gomorrah, burning with the fire of luxury and excess and desire. Ayanapa, it sounds like. Yeah, very much so, right? And also in 1336, Ludolf von Suchen's Terra Sancta said, For the soil of Cyprus, and especially where the castle is, if a man sleep thereon, of its own self will all the night provoke a man to lust. Yeah, so, boy. Sexy Cyprus. And that, sir, is beauty in Cyprus between the years of, checks his notes, <laughs> 1337. <laughs> How do I remember this and you don't? 1337 to 1453. Yeah. You remember because you were elaborate mathematics earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was impressive, my mathematics. It was certainly something.
Well, Peter, I mean, I'm sitting here more beautiful than I was when I started. And what could be a better indication of an excellent podcast than the success of making me beautiful? But in all seriousness, though, Pete, thank you very much for coming along and doing such a brilliant job of elaborating so much information about what it was like to be a medieval beautician. (laughs) Plucked my hair, you've applied this lotion. You've had the Medi-Pedi. The Medi-Pedi. We should (laughs) coin that. H-H-E Medi-Pedi. Available now. Uh, Pete, it's now my time, which means we've got to crack open the old machine. The machine is open. Crank it up. Warm it up. I've put my. I've put the key in. I'm turning it, and it's turning over nicely it's this good. week. Well, Listen to that. It's been quite damp lately. I'm surprised. Yeah. Didn't, uh, get into the gears. Well, I did get that guy to come out and take a look at it. Ah, oh, yeah, the blind guy. Yeah, he uh, swapped over the f- flax migrator. Uh, the flax migrator. Yeah, that was uh, starting to stick, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, but that's now replaced, and it is purring beautifully. Oh, like a kitten. Okay, let's do it. Tell me what we're going to be doing next time okay are you ready yes your country is australia oh nice going down under my friend down under to the antipodean place okay which also means you better hope for something that's not super old (laughs) oh yeah okay so your time is 1945 to present so post-world war ii this is going to be a good episode that seems to have rich pickings. And the topic... Well, at, yeah, it depends on the topic, doesn't it? Well, yeah. Then. <laughs> okay, here we go. Topic is... Yep. Easy come, easy go. Oh. So, easy come, easy go in Australia during when? 1945 to present. Easy. Done. All right, I'm looking forward to it. It's exciting. Cool, man. All right, so here we are looking primmed and pruned and that's the end. That's We've got to head on out now and try and find ourselves some medieval noble to marry us by proxy. <laughs> okay, so thanks for listening. Um, if you'd like to get in touch about any of the things that we've talked about on this show or indeed any of the others, or just to say hello, you can do that. You can reach out to us on social media or through our website at hhepodcast.com or you can email us at peteandryan at hhepodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. We love it when people get in touch with us. And you never know, you might end up featured on a future show. That's right. And one way to definitely feature on a future show is to rate and review us uh, on Apple Podcasts. You just go in there, you key in your details, you give us a review, and um, that's it, really. That's all we want you to do. There's just no more complicated than that. Just if you could do that, that'd be great. If you're on social media as well, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff, you can find us at HHE Podcast. If you subscribe, you'll get an alert every time we post one of our little one-minute animated video HHE Bites. Yeah, they're fun. Uh, We're going to be back again soon with The Verdict, uh, where Peter will be hauled across the coals by the judge himself, Mr. Paul Dursley. Dun, dun, dun. But in the meantime, if you can't get enough of History Happened Everywhere, you can check out our back catalogue of episodes. Uh, you can find those in your podcast app, on YouTube, or on our website. I remind you, hhepodcast.com. All right, so that's it. A huge thanks to Pete. Huge thanks back to you, Ryan. Ah, thank you. And I guess all that's left to say is... You've been listening to... History happened everywhere. 
Hey, Ryan. Hey, Pete. I was wondering if you wanted some help with your maths. My maths? Yeah, it just seemed like you were struggling a little bit earlier when you were trying to work out the difference between the dates, so I thought maybe I could help you out. Oh, uh, all right. Cool. Okay, great. So, we've got two dates, yeah, and those are basically just numbers, 1,337 and 1,455. Right. And we want to find the difference between those. Sure. So, what should we do first? What do you mean? Well, what do we do first to subtract one from the other? Don't you know? Well, obviously I know. Well, then why are you asking me? Well, because I, w- I want you to do it. But that's lazy. No, no. Uh, look, look. Just If you've got 1,455 apples and I take 1,337 of those apples, what have you got? Robbed. What? I got my apples robbed. No, no, because... Look, Ryan, the, the apples aren't real. Well, they're not. No. Oh. Oh, I see. Well, that's easy. Okay, so how many apples have you got? None. What? Well, zero. It's a trick question, isn't it? I can't have any apples if the apples aren't real. Should we just give up now? No, I love apples. Right. You're an idiot. Baby king do 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 Baby king do 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 Baby king do 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 Baby king